Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Skulle jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are going to try their best to have as exciting a summer as the Philadelphia Flyers are primed to. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and I have got a treat for you today because I was joined by the staff writer for The Athletic covering the Philadelphia Flyers, Charlie O'Connor, to talk all about the Flyers. And it was a really awesome interview. I know you're going to like it. We covered a ton of ground. And as you'll hear in the interview, Charlie got a ton of things right last year. So I have no doubt that he's going to get it right again for his predictions for 2021-22. Uh, before we get to that, let me mention that Keeping Carlson is proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. If you want to just keep up with all of the hockey news, whether it's mid-season, off-season, playoffs, Dauber Hockey has great articles coming out every single day. Plus, I love the tools over at Frozen Tools. So definitely check it out, DauberHockey.com. But with that, without further ado, check out my great interview with... Charlie O'Connor. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Beat Writer interview of the Keeping Carlson podcast. We've got a really great one for you today. I am joined by the lead writer at The Athletic for the Philadelphia Flyers, Charlie O'Connor. I talked to you a year ago. I just listened to the episode. You got a ton of things correct, so I'm excited to give you a victory lap here. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to be back. I honestly, I, I knew I'd been on the show before. I couldn't remember the last time it was because in 2020 time isn't real so <laughs> yeah. um so everything just sort of blended but uh but yeah i mean i'm happy to uh to hear exactly what uh what i got right and what i got wrong and, and happy to be on the show as well yeah, well, we'll definitely go through it all and obviously some new players to talk about as well. But uh, yeah, it was really fun. Like the main takeaway I had from listening to the interview last year, at least at the start, is it was like I was incredulous about how great the Flyers 2019-20 season had been. I was like, how did they go from being so dreadful in 2018-19 to so great in 2019-20? But now like looking back after this season, which hasn't been that good, it's actually nothing new for Philly. I see they've alternated like qualifying for and then missing the playoffs every pair of seasons since 2011-2012. So I guess you're used to just seeing this team be good and then bad and get your hopes up and then dash your hopes. Uh, but of course, hopes were high that they'd be able to break that streak going into this past season, 2020-21, after such a strong end to the COVID-shortened season. They came second in the Metro, swept the round robin, uh, beat the Habs before losing to seven uh, to the Islanders in the quarterfinals. And things were even looking good like this season. Like by the end of February, Philly was riding a three-game winning streak. They were 11-4-3 and at the time after 18 games. And then I guess the wheels kind of came off and they were only able to manage two wins in a row once the rest of the way they stumbled to a 25 23 and 8 record good first sixth in the east unfortunately i have to ask you the exact opposite question that i asked you last year uh what happened to the flyers to cause them to go from looking like such a force to a team that routinely was getting hammered for five plus goals against a game from the start of march to the end of the season yeah it really was a nightmare season for the flyers and it just felt like it was one of those years where any like everything that had to go wrong for the season to go as badly as it did went wrong you know they started out the year. Yeah, they were winning. The record was good, but in January they were not playing well. You know, they were getting 
bulldozed by, you know, shot and chance differential. And even, you know, Elaine Vino, the head coach, the players, they were all open about the fact that, you know, that wasn't good enough. You know, yes, they were getting results. Yes, they were winning, but that's not the formula to be a cup contender. Right. So February hits, they start progressively improving. You know, maybe they weren't playing up to expectations from an underlying standpoint, but they were playing better. They were cleaning up some of their issues. Then they get hit with a COVID outbreak. So they have to pause their season for essentially, I think, I think they paused it for like eight or nine days. But then after that, there was a bunch of players who could not come back right away. Like they ended up, they had to go to Lake Tahoe for that game against Boston. You know, guys like Claude Giroux couldn't play, Jake Voracek, Travis Konechny, like pretty much a good portion of their top three lines couldn't go to, you know, to the Lake Tahoe game. They get blown up by the Bruins. So they get healthy. You know, they get guys back from COVID. They sweep the Sabres to end February. And it really looked like, okay, you know, they got everybody back. You know, they're, the underlying process seems like it's gotten better from where it was in January. Now they hit March and they're going to start rolling. And the opposite happened. They hit March and March was the biggest disaster month you could think of. And March, to me, what happened in March with them was a combination of two things. So the schedule they had in March was insane. And as someone who covered that schedule, I can vouch for it. It was utterly exhausting. They pretty much never had time to practice. They were playing, you know, three and four. It was it was pretty crazy. You know, the you know, I believe they have like five and five and eight. They, they would the 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 number of games they shoved into March for the Flyers was ridiculous. And what happened was Carter Hart had issues like Carter Hart went wrong at the worst possible time because due to the intense schedule, they had to keep throwing him out there, even though he clearly wasn't technically right. His head wasn't right. And the thing he probably needed was like a week rest just Mm -hmm. to like clear his head and get right. But they couldn't do that because the only other option was Brian Elliott, who was about to turn 36 years old and he couldn't handle the schedule. So they just had to keep throwing Hart out there and Hart was getting crushed every time he played. And then the bad goaltending, I think then started to seep into the rest of the team because that happens. And then the rest of the team started playing poorly they started playing poor defensively, which made the goalies look even worse, which made the defense look even worse. And it just kept going around and around in circles until they were getting blown out nine, nothing by the Rangers. They were, you know, they were the team that ended the Buffalo Sabres winless streak. It was the worst month possible. And, well, in April, I think they kind of found their footing. It was a less demanding schedule. By then, it was over. You know, in in all practical terms, it was over. They had no chance of making the playoffs because of the hole they dug themselves in March. And by mid-April, I think they were more or less just playing out the string. So it was one of those years where you know, you have a lot of things go wrong. You have the defense didn't play as well as they hoped it was going to because they lose Matt Niskan into retirement. Phil Myers doesn't step up you know, to, to replace him. They really never f- solved that problem. Carter Hart was way worse than they thought. Most of the young players in the team, not named Joel Farabee, either stagnated or got worse. And the veterans, while they mostly played well, aren't good enough anymore to carry a team when all of the young guys are flailing. And that's what happened. So, you know, it was it was a rough year. And, you know, the Flyers are going to have a lot of interesting decisions to make this offseason. But this year was, in my mind, just a lot of things went wrong. It was almost like the worst case scenario of worst case scenarios for this team. And, and that's what they ended up with. 
I think that you also said the same thing about the 2018-19 season when they had they went to like yeah. eight goalies. That was also like so maybe just yeah. bad luck hit them in two seasons that happened to be close to each other, but maybe it's not as bad. I do think in general we all have to remember that this season was just so weird, and like you say, the Flyers had this like COVID outbreak and all of that, so you don't want to like read too much into it. Uh, though I de- definitely want to ask you about Carter Hart, who you brought up, who like when I asked you about him last year, I was like you know being overly drooling about him, like man, fans in Philly must be so excited about this guy, and you actually very astutely said that uh, people in Philly are like excited about him but they're not like ready to fully buy in that he's the real deal just because they've had so many times where they've gotten their hopes up about goalies and then been disappointed and so then I was like oh no so this must be maybe happening again for people I've got to imagine a bit of panic must be setting in like you said he really struggled uh, after that amazing second half of 2019-20 where he was amazing he only had an 877 save percentage in his 27 games this year before having his season cut short due to that MCL sprain in his left knee so now going into 21-22 like how worried should we be that this past season was an indication that Hart isn't ready to be like a quality starter in the league well you know it's a goalie so you always have to be worried a bit you really never know with that position you never know when you have a guy like Matt Murray who wins two Stanley Cups and now can't stop a puck like you just don't know sometimes weird stuff happens with goalies that said I, I believe the Flyers still still believe in Carter Hart I think his teammates still believe in him. I really think in my mind, I think Hart just desperately needed this offseason. Um, he was it was something that that I had heard back in March. I didn't feel comfortable reporting it because I felt like it was a private thing. But Hart was open in talking about it after the season was done, was that he really struggled mentally with the challenges of the pandemic. And, mm. you know, being a young guy, living alone, living away from his family, you know, basically just all, all the stuff that a lot of us were dealing with, with the pandemic. And I gave him a lot of credit for for being willing to talk about it in exit interviews, but I think that played into it. You know, I think it was a situation where, you know, he got into a rut um, from a technical standpoint. There, there were some technical adjustments he made to his game in the offseason that, you know, maybe were counterproductive. He gets into a rut, you know, in, in probably like late February. And I think that rut turned into a spiral. You know, you, you, you do poorly in a game, you go home and you go home to your, your apartment and you just stew in it for 48 hours. And then you go out there and you get your doors blown off again. And then you just feel even worse about yourself. And I really think that's what happened in March to him is that he just didn't have a chance to reset and the season just spiraled out of control for him. And that's obviously something that in a normal season or hopefully a normal season, hopefully 2021, 22 will be much more normal than this one um, just in terms of the world. But, um, but that's not something that I would expect to recur. Like those unique circumstances I do not believe are going to recur. And I believe that's going to help Carter Hart. Now, how good is Carter Hart? I don't know. You know, this is, this is the first time. And I made this point a couple of times. This is the first time, really since before he was even in juniors where Carter Hart has had to face real adversity in the sense of not excelling at his chosen profession. He's been incredible. Like he hasn't just been good. He's been incredible. Like he was unreal in juniors forever. You know, he, he makes the NHL midway through his first professional season and becomes a starter, which never happens these days. Like 20 year olds are not NHL starters. That does not happen. Carter Hart did it. And then by year two, he's an above average starter and he's out dealing, out dueling carry price in a playoff series. And as we're seeing this year, it's pretty darn hard. So this is the first time where Carter Hart is having to basically deal with the fact that he's not excelling at his job. And 
it's not going to be clear how he's going to deal with it until we see how he deals with it. Now, I believe he'll deal with it well. I think the the organization trusts that he'll deal with it well. I, I know his teammates still have a ton of faith in him. I mean, they've always had his back. They they really believe in him. So there's a lot of reasons to think he can. And I absolutely believe in the skill set. You know, I believe in in his his work ethic and everything. So everything tells me that he's going to bounce back. But there's always that thing in the back of your head where goalies are weird. You never really know with them. Yeah, there's no sure thing. But I'll be honest, like, I'm kind of seeing him as a potential, like, in fantasy hockey. Like, I'm seeing him as a potential good sleeper for next year, just because you'll probably be able to get him, like, super late in a fantasy draft. And worst case, you know, he doesn't pan out. You didn't spend a lot of draft capital to get him. But in the best case, we've seen what he can do. And, like, it's pretty wild, like, that he's already, it feels like he's already been around for a bit. He's only 22 years old. Like, uh, Ilya Sorokin right now is, like, you know, doing really well. He's 25. Like, he seems like a new guy. Like, he's got many years on heart. So, yeah, I think this obviously, like you said, be a good test of his resilience. But I'll be very interested to see how he does and got to imagine. Yeah, like you said, like just having the offseason to be able to have a bit of a break will be able to help. Uh, So I guess over to the forwards now, uh, the team's leading scores were all pretty much clumped together. Like Giroux, Voracek, JVR all tied with 43 points. Couturier had 31, Farabee 38, Konechny 34. So all like within like around 10 points. Of course, Couturier jumps out as having the most prolific offensive season. He had 41 points in only 45 games. That's a 75 point, 82 game pace. Uh, that actually makes four straight seasons with Couturier pacing for 70 plus points and three of them were 75 plus paces. Uh, Giroud's been pacing closer to 65 for the past couple of seasons. So like last year, we talked about how Giroud struggled at first and you noted that him being away from Couturier for a lot of the season was a big part of that. Like, are we at a point now going into 2021-22 where if you're looking for the highest points upside on Philly, it's like Sean Couturier, he's the clear pick even over Claude Giroud? Or do you still think Giroud has like that potential 90 plus point upside where like he's still the guy that you want to take a big swing on if you want to get a lot of points from a Flyers forward. Uh, well, I definitely don't think Claude Giroux has 90-point upside anymore. And, right. and that's in part just because he's not the offensive weapon he used to be. It's also in part because of the way Elaine Vigneault distributes ice time. You know, He's very – he cut back on his top players' ice times in comparison to what they received under Dave Haxtell. That's just the way he he rolls lines. He's more of a balanced four-line approach type coach. And if you're ever not getting all that ice time, it's going to be harder to blow up for a 90-point season. So I, I, to, to kick it off, I don't think Drew is capable of that anymore. Um, that said, I, I think – it's funny, like Couturier was definitely the more efficient scorer. And I do believe that Couturier is the Flyers' best true talent player. I think Giroux had the better season this year. Oh. And that and that's in part because I think Giroux was asked to do a lot. Like Giroux, I think we talked about this last year. You know, Giroux over the last two, three seasons has been better at wing versus center. He's just a more prolific scorer. He can be more creative. He can take more risks. And because he's maybe not the physical player, like in terms of physical, physically, he's just not, not quite as quick, not quite as physically dominant as he used to be in his, in his early to mid twenties. So having the ability to cheat a little bit for offense gives him the ability to use, you know, what's, and he still has a lot left, but like, you know, what's left of his, of his high end offensive skill. Well, this year he had to play a lot of center because the Flyers were a mess. You know, Gatoure was hurt for a while. Nolan Patrick was a disaster in his comeback season. Morgan Frost got hurt real early. So they needed centers. And Drew played a lot of center. He played some wing too, don't, don't get me wrong. But at center, he was really good. I mean, he was actually, in my mind, better at center than he was at wing this year. And if you look at his underlying metrics, you know, he was easily the Flyers' best play driver, even more so than Gaturia. And counting the fact that he was playing in a less than ideal position half the time to do it, that just adds to it. Plus, Drew just, you know, there were so many games where the Flyers 
as a whole just did not show up to play. Like they just looked disengaged. And the only guy on the ice who was very obviously killing it on every shift was Giroux. And, you know, not, not, you know, throwing people under the bus, but like Giroux was trying his best to drag this team to respectability. And unfortunately not enough guys were following him, but basically my overarching point is, I'm not writing off Claude Drew. I think Claude Drew had a great year this year. I think it was a better year than Gaturier, and I think he's still going to be a useful fantasy player. But Sean Gaturier, I think, is the better hockey player. And Sean Gaturier, because he's going to get more minutes than Drew, because of his hockey sense, you know, because of his role as the top line center, mm-hmm. I would expect him to lead the Flyers in points. Like if, if I was going to say who like who could pass Gaturier in points over the next couple of years, it wouldn't be Giroux. It would probably either be connect me on a rebound or Farabee if he continues to progress. It wouldn't be Giroux because I think Giroux is going to settle in as I more see. of like a, you know, a 50, you know, 50, 55, 60 ish point guy, especially, you know, obviously one of the, the elephants of the room is that Giroux only has one more year left on one more year left on his contract in Philadelphia. So theoretically this could be his last year. It doesn't have to be, he's expressed a lot of interest in finishing his career in Philly, but you never know until the, the ink's on the paper. But if he stays in Philly long-term and finishes out, finishes out his career, yeah, I think the 90-point days are done. I think he's just going to be a, a solid scorer and you know, turn himself into you know, a really strong two-way guy. You know, I'm kind of thinking about like what happened with um, – you know, with Joe Thornton, not, not when he was like in his early forties, but like, you know, when he got to like his mid thirties, you know, he wasn't scoring point per game pace anymore, but his underlying numbers were awesome. And he was still a huge part of those San Jose Sharks teams. I can see the same thing happening to Giroux. Okay. Yeah. And hopefully for uh, Giroux and the Flyers, things don't go the way things have gone for the Sharks lately. (laughs) You brought up uh, Konechny and he's the next guy I wanted to ask you about, because if we were doing this interview a year ago, well, which we were, but if I would have been asking you like, oh, who's going to be the leading scorer between Giroux or Couturier, people would be screaming at me being like, wait, why aren't you including Travis Konechny in this conversation? He had this amazing season, 2019-20, 61 points in 66 games for a 76-point pace. But actually, uh, when I listened to that interview from last year, being the all-knowing analyst that you are, when I asked you which flyer, I asked you to predict a flyer who will be the biggest disappointment in 2020-21, and you picked Konechny. You cited that he had a high shooting percentage, and he had a potentially tenuous spot on the top power play that he might lose, and you kind of completely nailed that call. Like Konechny's shot pace stayed pretty much the same, but his conversion rate dropped from 17% to 11%. He only saw 45 plus percent of his team's power play time versus like over 50 percent the year before which dropped him from 23 power play points to 11 power play points in a few fewer games but still yeah when it was all said and done Konechny ended his fifth season with 34 points in 50 games good for a 56 point pace so a huge drop from that 76 point pace the year before so I'll ask you a question that like you fairly could just answer by saying go read my article because you literally wrote an article recently about what happened to Travis Konechny but for the listeners who don't feel like reading right now uh do you think the 2020-21 Konechny numbers are more representative of what we should be expecting or do you think that a course correction will be coming the other way now and now instead of you saying that connect is going to be the biggest disappointment maybe next season you'll say connect is going to be the biggest surprise yeah i would say and this is something of a cop out i mean the, the most likely scenario is probably somewhere in the middle because i i expect a connect to regress a bit in terms of scoring pace this year i didn't expect him to regress this much you know especially the, the big thing that was missing in his game this year in my opinion um was you mentioned the shooting percentage and that's certainly part of it. You know, he was establishing himself in my mind as one of the, you know, maybe not on the power play, but at least at five on five, he was establishing himself as one of the premier, you know, under the radar snipers at even strength in the NHL. He was one of the better goal scorers in the NHL. He was becoming a guy who could beat goalies clean with his shot. And, 
you didn't see that guy very often this year. You know, he, I don't know if he was struggling with the confidence of his shot. I don't know if he was just struggling with offensive confidence in general. Um, you know, one theory I have is that, you know, the flyers, because they struggled so much in the early going defensively that maybe he was almost, you know, sacrificing some offense to try to play better defense to kind of, you know, adhere to what the coaches were preaching because the team defense was so poor and he was a big part of that in the first couple weeks of the season. But in any case, he just wasn't the same goal scoring threat. And it wasn't just because of his shooting percentage. Like it wasn't just because he wasn't finishing the quality of his shots went down too. He was shooting from further away. He was shooting from lower quality areas. So he was shooting, he was taking shots that were easier to stop. And, you know, that's an area where, he had established himself and he'd established his talent as a guy who could get to those dirty areas, who could get to the slot and just let it rip, you know, who'd score a couple of goals in the net front area, but who could also score from distance when he had to. And this year, the goal scoring just dropped off a cliff. So I wasn't expecting it to drop off that much. I'm expecting it to regress positively this year. I don't know if he's a 17% shooter, I think he's probably like a 14% shooter. And I would hope that, you know, with hopefully a better training regimen this summer, that was one thing he mentioned in exit interviews was that he wasn't able to train in the off season as much as he wanted to because of COVID restrictions and whatnot. So maybe give him a full off season, give him the ability to, to get in better shape going into the year and he'll find it easier to get to those dirty areas. So I would expect connect me to have a bounce back year. That is if he's still a member of the Philadelphia flyers, which considering the busy off season, the flyers are planning to have, have if they want to shop at the top of the market for you know guys like Jack Eichel and Seth Jones, hmm. Travis Konechny is one of the guys who those teams is probably going to be asking for. So we'll see if he's on the team next year. I certainly don't think the Flyers are like itching to trade him, but you got to give to get, and he's an asset. If but if Konechny's back on the team, I would expect him to have a bounce back year. But I certainly wouldn't go into the season drafting him thinking that he's going to immediately jump back to being a 76 point guy that I, as I mentioned last time, that probably was something of a career year for him. And now maybe settles into like that 65 to 70 range. Right. Which is similar to what you said we can expect for Giroux. So maybe that's around the place where he is in his career. Well, I hope that uh, most of this interview won't be out of date by the time next season starts, though. I guess maybe are you hoping that it is a bit out of date? Like, are you hoping that the Flyers kind of blow things up in this offseason and make a lot of big changes or do because I don't know, it seemed like I don't know a couple years ago, this team looked so good. So it would be kind of a shame to kind of tear it up because I would be curious to see what they could do in a normal season. But at the same time, if you could get Jack Eichel, you can't say no. Yeah, I think that's the thing. You know, they definitely want to improve. And, and the big, I mean, the big thing they they obviously need is a top pair defenseman, a top pair, ideally a right-handed shot defenseman, because that's what they had in Matt Niskanen. And when they lost him, they didn't replace him. And the the gamble they took, basically what, what Chuck Fletcher decided to do when they, when they lost Matt Niskanen and couldn't immediately replace him with someone to fit their budget and fit their expansion draft situation, he was like, okay, I'm going to give guys like Phil Myers and Travis Sanheim a shot to go up, go up the lineup and replace Matt Niskanen. If they can't, I believe my team is good enough to stay alive, you know, in the playoff race, be a competitive team up until the trade deadline. And that's when I'm going to go out and I'll get that guy. You know, I'll pay, I'll pay a first round pick. I'll, instead of Tampa getting David Savard, the Flyers get David Savard. Like that, that I think was the plan. Well, 
they didn't stay in competition for a playoff spot until the trade deadline. So they never got that guy. And then guys like Phil Myers, like Phil Myers especially did not, you know, step up and fill that role. Travis Sanheim is what Travis Sanheim is. He's a really good number three and he wasn't ready to be the number two. I don't think he ever will be ready to be the number two alongside Ivan Provorov, but the Flyers desperately need another top pair defenseman. They really do. And, you know, if, if it takes a lot to get that guy, I think you still got to do it. So, you know, you know, there's guys like Seth Jones, you know, Dougie Hamilton. There was some talk, you know, during the season that guys like Ryan Ellis and Matias Eckholm might be available. I'm not quite sure where Nashville's at with that now. Minnesota's throwing the name Matt Dumba out there. So there's names out there. And I think if you're the Flyers, you got to approach this offseason that you got to get one of those guys to really solidify that defense because we saw what the defense looks like without one of those guys this past year, and it ain't pretty. But, you know, when you're talking about somebody like Eichel, you know, do they need Jack Eichel? I mean, I don't know. Everybody could use a Jack Eichel. <laughs> I don't think they need to like blow up the team to get Jack Eichel, but you, you should probably be talking with Buffalo because he's a really good player and he's still very young. And, you know, then he's your first line center for the next 10 years, as long as it works out. So yeah, if I'm the flyers, I'm absolutely in getting involved, but you know, who knows what the ask is. Yeah, exactly. So if they, you know, have to trade Konechny in a deal for Eichel, obviously that makes sense. If not, then who knows? Maybe they could just get uh, Dougie Hamilton, like you said, or Seth Jones out of free agency. That's definitely going to cost them. Uh, but okay, let's stick with uh, some players that we know are going to be on the team next year. Here's one that I had imagined there's no chance that he's leaving because no team will probably want his contract in JVR. Uh, but he's a guy who was really surprising this year. Like when we talked about him last year, you were kind of insinuating that you don't expect him to, you know, have these big seasons left in him. But to start the season, season he like was shot out of a cannon right by march 2nd he was far and away leading the team in scoring 10 goals and 26 points in his first 19 games he was seven points ahead of joel farabee who we'll get to in a second but then after that hot start jvr cooled off like significantly he went on a couple five plus game pointless droughts and put up only 17 points in his final 37 games which is like less than a half point per game which would be one of his worst paces so we really saw two completely distinct seasons from jvr all in one is there any like obvious explanation for what was going so right for him for the first third of the season only to hit a wall and go so wrong in the final two thirds. No, I think it's just JVR. I mean, he's a streaky player. You know, he's a goal scorer. Goal scorers are streaky. That's just the way it is. I think overall his season was good. It was definitely, you know, from a scoring standpoint, especially it was definitely better than, than the previous year. Uh, You know, my big concern with JVR going into last season was I just wasn't quite sure where he fit in the lineup. Um, you know, in the playoffs, he was playing on the fourth line because it was, right. you know, they just yeah. couldn't find a spot for him. And you're like, okay, well, if you have James Van Reems, like you're paying him $7 million a year, do you really, you know, is it really worth it to have him playing on your fourth line if you have that much depth? Well, this year he came out incredibly strong to start the year and basically earned his way up to, you know, the first or second line. And that's pretty much where he stayed all season. Um, he's still a good player. You know, even, even in 2019, 2020, when, it was kind of unclear how he fit. His underlying numbers were fantastic. He was still driving play. He actually was still scoring at a really high rate of five on five. It was just that his ice time was down and he wasn't getting the power play you know, usage he used to. Well, this year he did. And lo and behold, he's back to scoring like a, you know, 60 point guy and, you know, around 25, 30 goals. It's interesting though, that you mention. I don't think anybody would take on that contract because I don't know about that. Hmm. You know, he's, He's got basically what's left on his deal is he's got a two, you know, look at what it, what is left. He's got two years, seven mil a year. If a 60 point guy 
at age 32, who just finished a 60 point season hits the market right now, even in a stagnant cap year, like is a two year, $14 million contract that crazy? You know, you know, maybe, maybe it gets two years, six mil, but like JVR is a great advanced stack guy. He's an extremely efficient scorer and he's coming off a good season. Like I'm not ruling out the possibility that Seattle takes him because they're a stat focused organization. And JVR is always graded out, graded out real well by the numbers. And there aren't a lot of guys available that come with like a relatively, you know, manageable term, only two years left. And come with a track record of success that he brings to the table. So I'm not so sure the Flyers can't find a way to get out from under that contract if they want to. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So obviously, I that's a very good point, and I, I was definitely wrong to say that. Yeah. If any team could take that contract, it's obviously Seattle because they're probably not going to be cash strapped. Do you think that is the current plan? I was going to ask you later. Like, do you think Philly's planning on leaving JVR exposed for this expansion draft? And I, I'd imagine, yeah, how it would be hard for Seattle not to take him since he is, you know, an established scorer in the league. Yeah, I absolutely think they're going to leave him exposed. I think they're actually going to leave both him and Jake Voracek exposed. Voracek in part because I just don't think – I think they believe they don't need to protect him because I because unlike JVR, JVR has two years left at 7 mil. Voracek has three years left at 8.25. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be too too large of a pill for Seattle to swallow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Flyers, I think, are going to be leaving a couple big-name guys uh, exposed. Shane Gosper, I expect, to be left exposed as well. So they're going to be leaving guys exposed. It's just going to come down to whether Seattle wants those big-name guys or if they're getting their big-name guys elsewhere and they just take a depth guy from the Flyers. But, yeah, I absolutely believe JBR will be exposed, without a doubt. Wow. So, okay. So we're losing definitely a big name to Seattle. Well, like you say, if Seattle wants to take one of them on, that's going to be so interesting, man. Okay. I'll have to get you back on the show in in a couple of months or whatever, once all this (laughs) plays out. Uh, In the meantime, like I said, I wanted to bring up Joel Farabee. I'll get to him in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Okay, so Charlie, uh, I definitely wanted to talk to you next about Joel Farabee, who you brought up earlier in our discussion about how you said if anyone is going to potentially pass Sean Couturier in points on the team, it's either uh, Travis Konechny or Joel Farabee. And Farabee, you know, I guess similar to JVR, had like kind of an inconsistent season, though a lot of more ups and downs. JVR was sort of just super hot and then like kind of cold. But uh, Farabee, you know, had you know had that amazing start, that one goal, three assist season opener versus Pittsburgh. Then he went quiet for like five games. Then he had a nice month. In a half long hot streak with 20 points in 19 games then he went cold for a month and a half and then he ended super strong five goals in his final six games and I guess that makes a lot more sense for a guy like Farabee since you know he's a young sophomore uh makes sense that he's gonna have maybe some issues with consistency but still he at, at the end of the day he posted a 57 point pace in his second year in the league which is very impressive maybe even a little surprising which means shame on me because you totally called him to be the Flyers pleasant surprise this season <laughs> like I said at the end of the last show I you predicted Farabee as the potential pleasant surprise and connect me as the potential uh, disappointment and you definitely went uh, two for two on both of those so i guess to flip around my connect me question did Farabee like do too well now and we should expect him to maybe disappoint people who think he can do this again just like connect me a couple years ago or from what you've seen from Farabee, do you think he legitimately can continue this and potentially even have a higher ceiling so i don't know if he's going to be the goal scorer that he kind of flashed this season. You know, he flashed a real nose for, you know, possibly looking like a sniper type, beating goalies clean. You know, he was, he was, I believe, I believe he finishes, but the most goals on the flyers, if I remember correctly this season, I don't know if he's that, but I also don't think he's done. Like, I think that he's going to get better. And, I think he hasn't reached his ceiling yet. Like Konechny, I I don't, I didn't know if he was going to ever have another 76 point pace season. Farabee, I think, could score more. 
Um, I think he can, he can up his assist rate. I think he can get more ice time. I think, you know, he's a guy who, to me, I've liked him even before the Flyers draft. And I liked him, you know, dating back to my draft research that in his draft year. And I have always viewed him as a guy who's going to really drive play when he's in his prime. You know, the one name that I've heard thrown around from some scouts that I trust in terms of a possible comp for Joel Farabee, you know, when he's in his like mid to late twenties and when he's in his prime is Justin Williams. And Justin Williams, if you remember, was like one of the league's best play drivers for years, years and years. And a lot of scouts believe that Farabee can kind of be that guy. And the thing is, if you're, if you're controlling play, you're going to get points because you have the puck in the offensive zone all the time. And I do believe that Farabee has that skill set where, you know, right now he's more of a break even puck possession, you know, you know, shot differential, chance differential type guy. And that's good for for his age. But I think he can be a really good one in two to three years when he gets a little bit faster and a bit stronger. He took massive strides in both those areas in his sophomore year, but I I don't think he's reached his peak in those areas. I think he can get he can, you know, get more physically developed still. And when he does, I mean, do I think that Joel Farabee is going to be a you know, point per game, superstar franchise guy. No. And I really like Joel Farabee. I don't think he has that ceiling, but could I see Joel Farabee being a 65 to 70 point guy a year? Yeah, I could. I, I honestly believe he has the the well-rounded skill set. He has the commitment to two-way play that's going to endear him to coaches and is going to get him to play in all situations. And I just think he's got the drive. You know, I, I, I look at him and I see a guy who, who wants to be really good. And I don't know if it's going to happen this year. You know, I don't know if maybe he stagnates in his junior year or whatever, but I think it's going to come. I think he's going to be better. I don't think this is the best we've seen at Joel Farabee. I think he's going to get better. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you think that Vigneault is ready to potentially give him the extra ice time that you would need, like maybe extra power play time? Is there a slot for him on PP1 for next year? I guess if potentially if, if a Voracek or a JVR goes, that obviously opens up a spot. Yeah, he already spent a fair amount of time there, to be honest. The power play was such a mess this year in Philadelphia, though, that they were changing personnel units, you know, every other game, essentially. So it's hard to call anybody other than maybe Giroux, like the power play one guy. Um, But Farabee absolutely could find a spot. You know, he's got a, you know, I don't think he's going to be, you know, a 35 goal scorer, but he has a really good shot. He has a good release, a quick release. He's deceptive with his shot. And he's the kind of guy that I could plausibly see a coach sticking him in the slot on power play one and just letting him tee off, you know, one timers because he's got the hockey sense that allows him to kind of, you know, find soft spots in, in the middle of, of a, of a a PK formation that you need to succeed in that role. And he's got the shot to be able to finish from that spot in the slot. So to me, that's a logical spot for Farabee long-term. Um, you know, you could put him on 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 one of the the half walls too because he's a good passer. But I could absolutely see him carving out a full time role as that shooter. You know, that bumper guy. And if he does, I mean, and if the Flyers ever figure out their power play, that's a spot where you can rack up some points. Yeah, well, we'll see what they do in terms of getting a good power play quarterback potentially, which we'll talk about in a sec to maybe help with that. But yeah, last year when we talked about Farabee, I was comparing him to Morgan Frost and kind of asking you, like, who do you think has the higher upside? And of course, you said Farabee and you got it right this season. Obviously, it's not really fair to Morgan Frost, who lost like basically his entire age 21 season to a shoulder injury. Then he also spent time in the COVID protocol. But yeah, uh, patron and one of our best fantasy player listeners, Jeremy, wanted me to ask you about Morgan Frost. And he wants to know, like, does the lost you? plus Farabee and also Allison who will get to like all these strong performances from these young players do these hurt Morgan Frost's chances of cracking the top six and being an impact guy anytime soon 
So I don't necessarily think that impacts Morgan Frost that much. Obviously, this was a you know a lost year for him, and that stinks because there was an opportunity. You know, had he not had that unfortunate injury, he would have had a, a lot of opportunities to carve out a full time role in the NHL, especially considering how much the team struggled. You know, he would have gotten his shot, and it stinks he didn't because it was just bad luck. It was a bad luck play, and it happens. But you know, now he's behind the proverbial eight ball from a developmental standpoint, which stinks. But you know, I, I think honestly. The thing that he's got to deal with the most, and this is a this is an issue that very well could be resolved this summer, one way or the other, is the Flyers view him primarily as a center. They obviously have Sean Gatterier, they obviously have Kevin Hayes. So there's one more center spot. There's Nolan Patrick who's in the mix. He was really, really bad this year. There's talk that he might not last the offseason in Philadelphia. If he goes then that spot is wide open for Morgan Frost unless the Flyers go out and sign another center this year, which I don't think is out of their own possibility because they're concerned about their center depth in part because guys like Nolan Patrick so far haven't panned out and guys like Morgan Frost are still unknowns because of, you know, partially because of their own development, partially because of circumstances out of their control. But the Flyers are thinking to themselves, you know, can we afford to go into 2021, 2022 just hoping that one of Frost or Patrick seizes that job because that's what we did last year and neither of them did it. So that's more what I'd be worried about Frost. Like I, I wouldn't be worried about Joel Farabee's emergence affecting Morgan Frost that much because they play different positions, they play different roles. But Frost's situation is fascinating to me because I don't know what the Flyers are going to do this summer to either make it easier for him to get ice time in the spot that he's kind of built to play or harder for him to get ice time in the spot that he's built to play. And that's something that we're not really going to know until the moves start happening. So that's kind of where I'm at with Frost. Like I still like him as a, as a player and a prospect. I think he has immense offensive talent and could be a big help on a power play, but he's got to earn the job first. He's got to earn that full-time NHL job. And when a guy hasn't earned it, you know, there's always going to be those question marks and there's always going to be that uncertainty, which obviously doesn't play that well in fantasy. Yeah, and I guess if they trade for Eichel or if they sign like an RNH or a Krejci or something, then obviously that will answer our question, at least in the short term, about what to expect from Morgan Frost. Uh, and then, yeah, I also wanted to ask you about Wade Allison, mainly to ask, like, who is this guy? He, I didn't even bring him up in our interview last year. He wasn't someone on my radar at all. Uh, but I did learn who he is around mid-April because he really took off uh, at the end of the season, right? He had three goals and three assists in his final five games. I see he was seeing even strength time with Farabee and Hayes, even some top power play time in his final three games so is this like power play one impact player wade allison something i should be prepared for going into 2021 22 or was this more just like vino giving a young guy a chance but probably not something that we should expect to see in his deployment in the near future i mean i think it was more the latter i think a lot of it boiled down to the simple fact that when allison got called up the flyers were just i think as a team were just demoralized with how the season went and Allison comes up and he's just this like bright and chipper and happy guy who's just happy to be in the NHL. So he was making plays that the other guys probably could make when they were feeling good about themselves, but not at the end of April when they just wanted the season to be over. So I think Allison maybe looked a little bit better than he was, especially by comparison to his teammates, because they just kind of wanted it all to end because they were their souls were crushed by this disaster of a season. That said, Allison's legit. You know, I I am more or less penciling him into an NHL, you know, an NHL spot next year. Um, he brings a lot of things to the table that the Flyers need. He brings physicality, he brings a shoot first mentality, you know, 
He goes to the front of the net. He wins puck battles. Um, he's a viable prospect. And I, one of the reasons why he didn't, you know, he kind of went on notice for a while, aside from like the most you know diligent prospect watchers, that he had a great sophomore season at Western Michigan. He was legitimately looking like one of the better players in college hockey. And then he tore his ACL. And then he came back the next year and was not the same guy. And he's admitted to, to reporters that like, it took him longer than expected to get back from that ACL tear. Like some players get back within nine months. It took him like two years to really feel back. And now he feels back. And now he's playing like the guy who was dominating the NCHC, you know, as a sophomore. And I remember back then, like the Allison's always been a polarizing prospect in the scouting community. He has, he has big fans and then he has big skeptics. Like his big fans, they, I heard one, one scout compare him to like, not as fast, but plays the same way as a Chris Kreider. Like he's, he gets some lofty comparables and then he gets some scouts that were just like, yeah, he's not an NHL player. Like don't bother wasting your time. So he was a fascinating guy for me to watch because like, usually when there's that big of a gap in perception about it, a prospect, he's a really, really cool guy to watch, see what happens. Cause somebody's going to, somebody's going to be really right. And somebody's going to be really wrong. <laughs> yeah. And he looked good. So, you know, I don't think he's going to be a Chris Kreider type scorer, but I could absolutely see him, you know, establishing himself as a a good middle sixer, a twenty twenty a year guy, you know, twenty goals, twenty assists. I could see him doing that, and he's he brings a unique skill set to the table because there aren't a lot of power forwards out there, and that's absolutely the type of game he plays. But he might be the kind of guy who's more valuable on the ice than he is in fantasy. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I guess though, like. In terms of fantasy, if your league counts hits, I see he had 28 hits in his 14 yep. games. So as a, a bangers guy, that could be helpful if he's also getting you 20 goals and 20 assists. So definitely an interesting guy to watch. Uh, then I guess to round out sort of the forward prospect talk on the Flyers, am I, am I right to assume that the one guy that we haven't mentioned that's probably worth discussing is Tyson Forrester, the Flyers' uh, 23rd overall pick in 2020? I see he went straight to Lee Valley in the OHL as a 19-year-old, produced quite well, uh, 17 points in 24 games. Do you see Forrester? is a guy who has a chance to crack the Flyers roster next season, or do we still need to wait a year or two for him? Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not expecting him to crack the roster. I'm sure he'll be given a chance. You know, I'm sure he'll, he'll show up to camp and they'll give him a shot. You know, they'll give him a shot, see if he's ready. But, you know, he really, I think he turned some heads this year by how well he scored in the AHL um, because he had skeptics. So the, the primary thing that people are skeptical about Tyson Forrester is his skating. He's got everything else. He's got the shot. He's got the hockey sense. He's got the commitment to two-way play. The skating is a problem. And the thing with skating is that some guys improve their skating. Some guys just aren't good skaters, but find ways to make it work at the upper levels anyway. The thing with Forrester is, you know, he's a guy where, yeah, he makes it work in juniors. He can score in juniors. People were unsure if he was going to score as a pro. Well, he scored as a pro. Now, granted, it was the AHL, but that's one more hurdle that now we know that we wouldn't have known otherwise, because normally, if it wasn't pandemic year, he just would have you know, lit up the OHL again. There would have been the same questions. Well, now we know he can score in the AHL. Can he score in the NHL? Uh, I don't know. You know, there are the Flyers obviously are hoping that he's going to get and get even better at skating. You know, maybe he's never going to be a burner, but he keeps progressively improving to the point where, you know, maybe he's like NHL league average, kind of the way that, that Oscar Lindblom, another guy who they drafted with skating concerns, you know, worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And now he's not fast, but not slow anymore. So with Forrester, I think they're going to want to give him at least another year to, to work on his skating, to just kind of have a normal year of development. But yeah, he's an intriguing guy, and he's a pure goal scorer. He's a guy where if he makes it, 
you know, he's going to be a 30 goal a year guy. And, uh, and the Flyers certainly could use a guy like that. I, I don't think they're going to rush him up to the NHL though. I'll put it that way. Okay, yeah, that's fair. By the way, you brought up Lindblom. Uh, congratulations to him winning the Masterton Trophy we were supposed to record yesterday, actually, but you had to do some work reporting on his win. Uh, what did you think of Lindblom this season after coming back? Obviously, he missed all that time because he you know, had cancer, like a, an incredible story. And then he was back this year. I didn't make as much of an impression on the score sheet as he did the year before, which I'd imagine is understandable. But do you still see him as a guy that's going to like be a locked in? Last year when we talked, like you saw him as like a really solid like middle six, potentially even like second line guy for like years to come. Do you still see him as that kind of player now that he's back? Yeah, I think he could be. Um, you know, obviously the, the X factor here is that, you know, no one really knows aside from Limblom and his doctors, just how much the, the cancer treatments, you know, what it did to his body, you know, mm-hmm. and whether he's ever going to get back to the same physical condition that he was in before, you know, he got, you know, unfortunately got diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. That said, it's important to note that like his off season was weird. You know, obviously, you know, the pandemic was one thing, but like he was just getting back from beating cancer. So a lot of what he was doing in the offseason was not building, but just trying to rebuild what used to be there from a muscle and endurance standpoint. And I think it showed. It showed this year, especially when the schedule got demanding, that he just wasn't physically back to where he was. And he's fully confident. The team is confident that give him a full offseason to you know have a normal offseason where he doesn't have to worry about coming back from cancer. He doesn't have to worry about rebuilding the muscle he lost. He can just work on being a hockey player and improving. That he can get back to where he was before the diagnosis. And, you know, honestly with a guy like that, with his character, I'm not going to put anything past him. Like, I don't think he's a superstar, even if he gets back to, you know, his max potential, but he absolutely can be a second line winger if he gets back there and and a fantastic, you know, underlying numbers guy who really helps the team out in a lot of under the radar ways. So yeah, I mean, I'm still an Oscar Limbaugh believer that said, I mean, he, he didn't have a great year, but considering the circumstances, it's totally understandable why he didn't. Yeah, people should definitely remember if he can get back to what he was like in 2019-20, he only played 30 games. He had 18 points. It's a 50-point pace. He was taking like two, almost two and a half shots per game. So obviously this past season, it was like not looking like that at all. But you've given lots of fair reasons why. So yeah, he'll be another interesting guy. Lots of guys. I'm very curious to see what the Flyers will do. Again, I kind of want to see them not make any changes just to see if they could turn things around with the same roster, except for, of course, on D, like you brought up. So let's end at the defensive position. Back to more of your spot-on prognostications, by the way. I asked you about Ivan Provorov and if he's got a lock on the top power play QB job, and you suggested that you could see him losing that spot, and that's exactly what happened for a lot of the season. Gosses Beher, uh, Gustafsson each saw some time on the top power play, and as a result, Provorov took a step back from his 2019-20 output. He only had 26 points in 56 games for a 38-point pace when he had a 43-point pace the year before. And now, like you say, maybe Philly is potentially going to try to find uh, another defenseman to join the fray, either out of free agency. Also, we've got Cam York. Uh, coming up that I'd be curious to know if you think he's going to make the team soon so like should we continue to not expect Provorov to have much more offensive upside than what we saw this season well the thing with Provorov is they keep putting him out there you know whether it's top unit whether it's second unit and the way the power play worked this year in Philadelphia I don't know if they really had a top unit like both Mm -hmm. units were bad so it was just sort of like well Whoever's out there first, I guess you're the top unit today. And I guess whatever unit has Drew on it is the top unit because Claude Drew's our best power play guy. But 
they keep using Ivan Perov as a power play guy. So I have to believe that they think he's good at it and they're going to keep using him there. Now, I don't think he's very good at it, so I wouldn't keep using him there, but the Flyers do. So I would not expect him to lose that job entirely. That said, do I think he could settle in as a power play two guy? Sure. Sure, he could, you know, depending on who they get in the offseason, if they, you know, you know, maybe Seth Jones, if they were to get him, he's not maybe a power play one guy, but like Matt Dumba can be, you know, he's got a great slap shot. So maybe he takes over the power play one job. If he's the guy they get, obviously if they got, if they got Dougie Hamilton, he'd probably take over because of he's course, an yeah. offensive force. Um, so it would depend a lot on you know, who they get. If, if pro rubber gets pushed down, if they end up just getting like a David Savard, then maybe Pervy is the power play one guy again, because I think there's a decent chance that, uh, that Shane Goss's bear is not on the team next year. Um, just because if they want to make the moves that they apparently want to make this summer, they're going to need to find ways to clear cap space somehow. And with Cam York coming, you know, that's Goss's bear plays the role that Cam York will play. Now, is Cam York going to make the team out of camp? I don't know. He did get time at the end of the regular season. The Flyers, he, the Flyers organization views Cam York as their best prospect. They are the highest on Cam York out of any of their prospects. And I do not think he's going to spend that much time in the AHL. So if you're looking at Shane Gosper and you're like, well, Ghost is good and he had a bounce back season, good for him. But we've got a guy coming up who's basically not a clone, but like from a usage standpoint, kind of needs the same usage. Maybe you look to dump Ghost, you know, and just clear the cap space so you can go out and get a number one defenseman or you can go out and get a, a sniper or whatever, whatever position they, they decide to fill with that space. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of scenarios here. You know, if if Ghost gets traded and they get Seth Jones, yeah, and then maybe Provorov stays as power play one guy and they just try to keep trying to make it work. If Ghost stays, you know, maybe him and Provy switch. If Ghost gets traded, but they get a more offensively oriented defenseman. Maybe that guy takes over PP1. If Ghost gets traded, like there's so many different variables here. Cam yeah. York could take over that role. So it's hard for me to say how it's going to play out. I think Proby is going to get power play time. Now, whether it's the prime power play time, I'm not sure. But I think I don't think he's going to get, you know, removed from, from the power play on the whole. They just seem so wedded to the idea of finding a way to make that work. Um, but beyond that, I can't say anything with, with any real certainty until I see how the offseason plays out for him. Yeah, of course. So maybe I'll, as of now, I'll just maybe project him for like whatever, 10 power play points and then maybe like a, a round of maybe 35, 40 point pace, which is fine. That's what he's been doing for the past couple fair. of years. Yeah. It's interesting that you said that Shane Gossesbear had a bounce back season. It was such a weird season for him, right? Because like he was benched a bunch of times, but then when he was playing, you're right. He did like have much better offensive numbers than he used to. But I guess Vigneault doesn't like him that much uh, in, in terms of his defensive play. Uh, I don't know. I didn't really plan on asking about Gossesbear. I also kind of assume like you that he's probably not going to stay with the team. But it's just like, if you were to ask Goss's Behar, how did, how did your season go? Do you think he's like happy with it or like disappointed with it? I just think Ghost is the kind of player that frustrates coaching staff sometimes. You know, he's just, he's just that type of guy. And he's not good enough anymore that you live with his mistakes. Like he doesn't bring enough offensively like he did in his rookie season or like he did in his, his third season where, you know, you deal with the occasional breakdowns because he's dynamic. He's not as dynamic as he used to be. And I think that's what got him scratched. And, you know, the, he got waived, but that was largely because the Flyers knew that no one wanted him. Mm-hmm. You know, the Flyers, the Flyers made a heavy push last offseason to try to trade, trade Shane Gossespierre. They, you know, they really tried to find him a new home to clear up cap space and, and, and find him a place where maybe he fit better. And they couldn't do it. 
no one wanted him for anything that didn't involve the Flyers having to basically pay a team to take him. So they ended up deciding to keep him, which is part of the reason why they waived him. Because it was like, well, we need that. We need the roster spot. We've shopped him to 30 other teams. We know no one wants him for free. So it's an easy thing to waive him. So that was one of the reasons why he got scratched. Obviously, it's an embarrassing thing for a player. I'm not saying it made Shane Gossespierre feel good, but. It wasn't like they waived him because they were, you know, desperate to lose him in the middle of a playoff race. Um, yeah, you know, I, he had a good year. He was certainly a lot better than he was in 2019, 2020. I'll say that. But I don't think he played well enough to convince the Flyers that Shane Gossespierre has to be a part of the future of this team. Let me put it that way. Right. And I guess similar to JVR, maybe he'll be easier to move this offseason since there's only two years left in the contract instead of three years. So maybe that makes it a little easier for another team to take a chance on him. Uh, All right. So I guess I'm pretty much done with my questions here. I had some general stuff at the end that I think we've covered. I wanted to ask about the Seattle expansion. I want to talk about some UFA targets. I guess one sort of general thing I'll ask is like Philly does have the 13th overall pick coming up in the upcoming draft. Do you have anyone in your sights that you'd like to see fall to them? Um, in all honesty, I really haven't started my draft research yet, but, um, I could easily just see them trading the pick <laughs> to mm. be totally honest with you. I mean, I, I've said it a couple of times, but the flyers front office wants this to be an aggressive off season. And, you know, if you're going to shop at the top of the market for a potential top pair defenseman, 13th overall pick, like that might be the currency necessary. So it would not shock me at all. If the flyers just straight up, don't make that pick. If they, they trade away in a package for a player, um, so I, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate on who they might take. It's just not something I've really focused on yet. I, I certainly be ready for the draft in a month, but, um, but yeah, I, I would not rule out the possibility of them trading that pick. I think it's absolutely on the table. Yeah. Well, that's definitely more fun as a Flyers fan, like take that pick and use it to get your team to be competitive as soon as possible. Uh, yeah. So then I guess let's just end the same way I ended the interview last year where I asked you, uh, to try to predict, uh, one big, potential positive surprise for next season someone that will be maybe under the radar and that people might not be expecting as much from as what he'll end up providing and then the other side someone that you expect to be maybe the biggest disappointment some of the people are maybe too high on at this point no pressure you really nailed it last year uh i'm really curious to, to see who uh, you pick this time around um yeah you know i, I guess for a big surprise you know i, I might go limblom because I, I honestly huh. believe, unless 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 you want to go Hart, because I think he's going to bounce back. But like Hart's a name, everybody knows Carter. I guess everybody knows Oscar Lindblom now, but not necessarily for hockey. They know it for a story. But I honestly believe that you give Oscar Lindblom a full offseason, I think he's going to be a real good player again. And you know, maybe not a guy who's you know top of a draft, but I think he's gonna he's gonna get some points. I think you know he was a guy where like compare him to Nolan Patrick. Like Nolan Patrick didn't score and didn't look good. Oscar Lindblom to me showed flashes of being back to what he was. And really once you knock out the first couple weeks of his season, his play driving numbers were really good. It was just the scoring wasn't there. And I think you give him an off season to improve, you know, everything in terms of his, you know, his, his physicality and whatnot, you know, rebuild his muscle work on, you know, you know, building it even further than that. Maybe I think he could be back to where he was pre-cancer. So I would say surprise. I pick Lindblom now Love it. for, I mean, for, disappointment i guess it was a tough year so i guess it's hard to pick someone to be disappointing maybe i would go jake voracek um i thought this year because there i mean he'll he's still like a reputation pick in fantasy drafts i think and scored 43 points in 53 games so you look at that and you're like he's still jake voracek i didn't think he had a very good year especially from a two-way standpoint uh i thought his defensive play dropped off dramatically 
over the course of the season, especially in comparison to where it was in 2019, 2020, when I thought he made a real conscious effort to improve his two-way play for a new coach. He's getting older. You know, he's going to be 32 in August. And let me put it this way. If I was in a fantasy drift, he would not be the guy. Like, there are some guys who I think in, like, the mid-rounds of fantasy drafts, you look at it and you're like, well, you know, he may not be amazing, but I can count on him for, you know, he's going to get me 60 points every year, so sure, let, let, I'll pick him. I don't know if I view Jake Voracek as a guy who I count on for 60 points a year anymore. I saw some slippage this year, and I could see it getting worse next year. Yeah, that's a really interesting pick because you're right. Like over the past three seasons, he's pays for pretty much the same amount of points, like around 67, 68 points. But if you look like even just looking at his ice time, I see it's just been going down and down and down every year. So if that continues to go down, if the coach doesn't have as much faith in him, then obviously he's not gonna be able to keep up as many points. If you're saying he's not playing as well, uh, two great picks. I have a feeling you're going to be right about both of them. So even though now they won't be, (laughs) they won't be a surprise or disappointment anymore to anyone who listened to the show anyways, because they're going to assume that you're going to be right. Uh, So Charlie, thanks so much for coming back on keeping Carlson. It was such a pleasure talking to you. The time just flew by. Uh, Before I let you go, of course, can you let people know uh, how they can follow all of your great work? Yeah, sure. So, um, so obviously, I cover the the Philadelphia Flyers for the Athletic, theathletic.com. I'm sure you're aware of it. Obviously, would very much appreciate a, a subscribe if you're not already a subscriber. Um, I also am on a weekly podcast called BSH Radio. Uh, BSH underscore Radio, I believe, is our handle on Twitter. So follow it if you want to, you know, see our stuff. Um, and that's obviously Flyers focused, Flyers centric. Um, but we we touch on you know topics from all around the league as well. Um, and then on Twitter, you can follow me at Charlie O underscore Con if you'd like to see my Flyers and other insights. It's the summer, so I'm mostly tweeting about music now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, you're still definitely writing interesting articles over on The Athletic, even though it's the summer. Uh, but I'll be curious to check out those music tweets. Uh, yeah, so I'll definitely link to, you know, your your Twitter and The Athletic and Broad Street Hockey Radio in the uh, show notes if people didn't catch all of those links. Uh, definitely, people should definitely check all that stuff out. Uh, as they can tell, you know your stuff about the Philadelphia Flyers, best beat writer there is for Philly. So we really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, have a great rest of your night and good luck to the Flyers next year. I really hope they have a big off season and uh, give us some exciting things to talk about yeah it would certainly be a lot more fun to cover a good team than whatever this season was i'll tell you that (laughs) yeah well if they keep the pattern going then they're a lock for the playoffs next year that is true that is true Thanks so much again to Charlie O'Connor for that amazing interview about the Flyers. Man, now I'm kind of thinking that we should try to get Charlie back in a couple of months after this offseason because it sounds like there's a lot of things that are potentially going to go down. Uh, but hey, in the meantime, it's nice to have a little primer to go into all the offseason moves to know what we can expect from Philly and the players they have on the roster currently. Yeah, I just really enjoyed that interview. I uh, hope you did as well. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Keeping Carlson. Hope you're enjoying the Beat Writer series as a whole. Also, hope you enjoyed our last episode where we had the round three draft of the Keeping Carlson playoff pool. So yeah, we're just going to keep bringing you episodes even as there's less and less hockey being played. So please make sure to be subscribed on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. We really appreciate that. Uh, We'd also appreciate if you would consider supporting the podcast. Uh, If you're interested, we have our Patreon program still going in the summer and we have a special promotion. Only a dollar a month uh, will give you all the perks we have to offer. We're having a lot of fun right now on our patron-only Discord channel where every day we're 
we're ranking a different player, coming up with player rankings by the time we're done. And I guess 100 days, we're going to have an awesome ranking of players for the 2021-22 season and lots of interesting discussion as we debate who should be ranked each and every day. Uh, but okay, so that's keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you're interested in that. You can also follow us on Twitter at keepingcarlson. We'd love to just hear general feedback about the show. Feel free to let us know what you think, and then we can take your feedback and make the show even better. It's a beautiful cycle. So okay, that's at keepingcarlson on Twitter, uh, keepingcarlson.com slash patron, like I already said, but okay, I'll just get out of here now. Let's cue the outro music, and I guess as far as the credits go, I read some articles by Charlie at The Athletic, and like Charlie said, you should definitely subscribe if you haven't. It's you know, not only Charlie O'Connor, like lots of great writers over at The Athletic. They're pretty great. Uh, this is not a paid advertisement, by the way. I, I just actually really like The Athletic. Uh, aside from that, I guess I used a lot of frozen tools, and mainly just the, the uh, very smart, knowledgeable brain of Charlie O'Connor and everything he knows about the Philadelphia Flyers. So I guess those are my credits. And so I guess the last thing I'll say is remember that fantasy hockey is for everyone. Bye.